As uh, thank you for that question. Uh, TB isn't exactly uh, the most uh, inviting conversation to have, so mm-hmm. I will uh, openly admit to not actually wanting to write this book for as long as I could avoid it. But it was one of those cases where the book kind of forced itself on on me. Um, mm-hmm. I started working on it as a essay for Caravan Magazine, who I contribute where I, where I write often. and mm-hmm. at some point i had like 25000 words and uh, my friends uh, kept telling me that it's a book and not an essay any longer and mm-hmm. i was traveling a lot i was uh, reporting from bangladesh at that point and you know there was a lot of news stories that i was reporting so i mm-hmm. actively kind of did not commit to the book for a good couple of years and then uh, I, but I continued reporting and continued writing about it because there were TB cases everywhere. Uh, there were cases in the high court and um, in hospitals everywhere. I see this was a crisis, so I continued writing about it, and it kind of um, became its own entity, which I uh, will happily admit I had little control over. Mm. But why? Why do you think that you know nobody is focusing on this? you know though it is i mean one years of cases and I, you know i mean i the reason i picked up this book is because my grandmother died in at 20 of tb okay so i've always been interested but of course that was like half a century ago you know what i mean but that we are grappling with tb now still is a is a horrible thing right so you know in my experience uh, so in the in the time that i've spent uh, reporting on the subject in various cities i've had friends um i've been at diwali and eid parties where i've had friends of friends who were invited uh, to the party and then they've ended up saying my grandmother had this and my uncle had this so tb almost is a dirty secret uh, because of the stigma it's associated but the truth is every indian family knows someone or has someone who has suffered from tuberculosis we just don't mm. talk about it often and uh, one aspect of it in my in my understanding is that uh, our media our reporting on infectious disease is very um, uh, i want to say class based so you know you see a lot of coverage of covid-19 because it can affect across caste and class whereas you don't mm-hmm. see the same for tuberculosis which is perceived to affect only poor people uh, and there are say, many many such infectious diseases who fit the exact same pattern for example leprosy 
India has many, mm. many cases of leprosy. We have stunting and mal- malnutrition. So India actually has a crisis of not looking at diseases that actively affect uh, lower caste and lower class communities. And TB um, exemplifies this uh, case. Mm. Yeah, and you've mentioned that in the book, the fact that, you know, we continue to be so um, so ridden by caste that we willfully don't uh, don't look at these things. So let's talk about that and, you know, the whole housing crisis in Mumbai that, you know, that whole um, chapter when you dealt with that, with uh, you know, that horrible case. So, you know, of, of kind of willful neglect by the government of, uh, of poor people, basically, poor people and, uh, uh, you know, Dalits. So. Yeah, uh, it's the, I will add that it's not just the willful uh, neglect by the government, but it is also willful neglect of uh, everyone in the, all of us are complicit in this. This is, of course, uh, the government has uh, its own uh, blame to carry, but uh, people who live in these uh, high-rise buildings uh, and have uh, security guards or uh, cooks or drivers who are forced to live in these completely ghettoized... I talk about Mumbai and Mumbai East, where uh, you have uh, these uh, vertical slums where there is not even air to breathe. And uh, mm-hmm. this, But this is true. I talk about Mumbai because it just has the highest population density in India. But this is true yes. for um, all our big cities. It's true for Bangalore. It is true for Delhi, where we are very happy to look away from the ghettos of the city, uh, mm-hmm. which don't get municipal services, which do not get health services or legal aid or education. And yes. more than that, the more problematic aspect of it, which is why I say the upper caste and upper class people are actively complicit, is that we have a habit of looking at bad neighborhoods. And I, again, in the book, I talk about Mumbai uh, as if uh, th- these neighborhoods which are deprived of uh, public sector taxpayer investments like schools and parks and, you know, legal aid and hospitals, and then blame the same neighborhoods Uh, as if the people who live there are bad. So, you know, it's a bad neighborhood, which by extension means the people who live there are criminals. Uh, Mm. And that kind of, you know, uh, uh, association of being people being forced to live in uh, horrible places and then being called horrible because of where they are forced to live is this very tight uh, loop. And one of the things, which is why I address caste, because... uh, health deficits in India are not studied uh, from the caste lens. And which is also why I had to uh, look at the literature and the data that's coming out of um, uh, the housing projects in Chicago, for example, where African-American communities have been noted to have uh, higher mortality rates, higher higher rates when uh, pregnant women go to hospitals and die. And every single one of those things is uh, very... Uh, predictably, uh, it replicates itself in India as well. And uh, one of the things uh, I hope to do with the book is decenter this conversation about infectious disease from these mind-numbing, you know, just just numbers that are thrown around uh, to causes that uh, you know perpetuate the, the, the plague, which are our biases, and we 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 uh, willfully do not look at the fact that the infectious disease may boomerang in a tight circle for a bit 
but uh, we now know from covid that it's going to ricochet out and take affect us all so mm-hmm. that was uh, that was the idea uh, to go into the slums of mumbai mm. okay what i found interesting also is it for for i mean for a reader who comes to this you also explain how you know our caste biases are all are kind of replicated in a larger way with the international sort of racist bias right so let's talk about both these things and uh, you know you know it's uh, thank you for that question uh, i've been living between the us and india for the last few years and one of the things it does is puts me in a place where uh, you just realize that these are just uh, different names we use for uh, systems of discrimination at the end mm. of the day these systems of discrimination are very predictable and they very very reliably uh fall upon uh, poorer neighborhoods uh, especially women especially children uh in in every part of the world so we may call it lower caste or uh, dalit communities here but in the us it's uh, african american communities in canada it's uh, inuit population uh, the native population uh in uh, uk and in europe it's refugees and immigrants so we kind of uh, uh, again one of the things i try to do with the book is uh, flatten all of these names uh from a public health point of view where you you know we it's very difficult to pry things apart when you go into caste and you know keep going deeper into it that's not what i wanted to do uh, what i wanted mm-hmm. to do is uh, kind of uh, place the global health predicament what we are facing is a global problem where the rich uh, want to go to private hospitals and like a two tier system where uh, they want a separate system for themselves but then it's also not working for them so the rich are who are insured are over treated and overbilled whereas the yes. poor are under treated in our city hospitals and what what's happening because we don't have a universal tax payer single payer system is that everyone gets shortchanged and we uh, in in india's case uh, since the 1980s we have spent the last three decades channeling all our public investment uh, public taxpayer funds into private sector hospitals and what we mm. see now with covid with uh, tb in particular but with every other disease is uh, a result of chronic underinvestment in our government uh, health facilities okay which which mm. incidentally can also be very neatly uh, applied to the us which also has a highly privatized health system uh which can also be applied to europe uh, uk currently being an exception because of the nhs uh, so uh, i kind of wanted to have a global conversation as against you know get caught by uh, the names we uh, the labels we use for discrimination okay 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 so you know early on in the introduction you say you know that development of the mutant strains of the bacteria in a rich cosmopolitan city you talk about mumbai is a glimpse of the post antibiotic era dawning on all of us so let's discuss this you know the yeah. post antibiotic which is basically what is the uh, uh, thing we are so the we've uh, ha- antibiotics are one of uh, the miracles of modern science that we um we we uh, have now uh, but what's happening especially in india which is the ground zero of not just uh, antibiotic resistance but also climate change uh, 
uh, is that most of these uh, powerful antibiotics, and there are 12 or 13 segments of these uh, different types of antibiotics, they just don't work anymore. Uh, they don't work on uh, drug-resistant, uh, uh, all types of drug-resistant re- infections, but particularly tuberculosis, which... Uh, which uh, should worry all of us because we uh, w- what it does is uh, um, uh, then I, I use the I use the crisis of antibiotics uh, because in a globalized world we, it's also India is well connected with flights to every part of the world. Indian diaspora yes. lives in every part of the world, and uh, most countries, especially Canada, US, especially in the global north where you don't have as many uh, cases of uh, TB. Uh, these countries now ask Indians for chest X-rays, and uh, mm-hmm. we are already seeing, uh, uh, you know, and COVID again uh, was uh, with vaccine passports, uh, kind of turbocharged this conversation about how do we treat people, especially if they are brown and black uh, and have an infectious disease, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the antibiotic, uh, the post-antibiotic era is uh, well and firmly dawning on all of us. And uh, mm-hmm. India's had antibiotic policy uh, since 2011, but it's not been implemented. So even now we have a situation that uh, a lot of poor people uh, in semi-urban and rural areas medicate themselves by going to the nearby chemist. Um, yes. And, and you know, this kind and then on top of it, we now have a government which uh, actively uh, advocates, uh, uh, you know, uh, traditional uh, therapy. So it's called polypharmacy. So you have Ayurveda and homeopathy and allopathy and there is no prescription audits. There is no regulation. And because of this uh, bizarre, uh, you know, way of treating uh, patients, uh, we now are just making uh, uh, pathogens more and more uh, resistant to the drugs. And a a terrifying example of this, which uniquely happened in India, was during the second wave, India was the only country in the world to be reporting uh, just horrible uh, mucormycosis, you know, uh, cases where people had really horrible infections besides COVID. And a lot of that was because of, you know, random prescriptions of steroids, antibiotics. And uh, uh, it also comes from India having this uh, ancient culture of uh, dadi ke nuske and home remedies. And unless we kind of relook uh, uh, all of this um, mm. with with uh, the antibiotic resistant, uh, antimicrobial resistant situation globally, we are in for we are in for a very tough time uh, because pandemics are going to become more and more uh, frequent in our future. From every study that you see now, uh, and our our fates are just hopelessly interlinked. So we cannot withhold medicine from the poor anymore. Um, mm. which is why we like, which is why we need to do what we did during HIV, where the government did not bring in moral judgment into, uh, treating people and you could get HIV, uh, drugs without Aadhaar card and without, you know, there were no yes. hurdles. Um, yes. yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay, you know, and also you also mentioned how this new form of medical apartheid, and that you know the the, the I think the la- latter half of your book kind of puts that out, you know, explains the whole thing through. Um, do you want to talk about that? You know? So uh, we are witnessing a new form of medical apartheid in which preventable and curable diseases such as 
TB are thriving while life-saving medicines remain in a stranglehold. So this portion, uh, what I essentially do in the first uh, couple, first two parts of the book is just set up how uh, different uh, dealing with a infectious disease can be depending on where you're born and which time you're born in. And then the last part of the book kind of zooms out to a global uh, perspective because this medical apartheid in India may be cast, but at a global level, uh, the drugs are logged in patent monopolies and it's really hard to not uh, look at the fact that majority, over 90% of patent holders are uh, in the Western world. And um, yes. in case of infectious diseases, they hold patents on drugs that mostly affect black and brown nations. So even now, uh, there is a very, uh, very vocal debate going on about uh, intellectual property waiver on COVID drugs uh, and technologies. But what's happened yes. is uh, you have the global north, which is the West, which is binning vaccines and uh, they are triple vaccinated. Whereas you have African nations who are still waiting for their first doses. And what then that does is, again, cause uh, more strains of the virus to circulate. And uh, we are witnessing a parallel pandemic uh, where in the in the global north, there are communities of anti-vaxxers who are not uh, open to uh, taking the vaccines that are available and causing strains uh, to develop. Whereas in the global south, where people need the vaccines, are not getting it because of patent monopolies. And again, uh, the medical apartheid is entirely... Uh, the, I, I say it in the book that it is uh, economically not justified, but it is uh, morally... Uh, unconscious it's just it there is just no way to um rationalize the mo- morality behind this decision because mm-hmm. what they are saying essentially is that we want to save the antibiotics for later for white populations because mm-hmm. if we give it to black and brown nations and they misuse it and they overuse it uh the drugs will not be effective and then they will not work on uh the uh, global north countries and this is uh, nothing uh, in this is new we saw this during the hiv aids crisis where antiretrovirals uh, um, were the last to get to africa in 2004 and africa was the epicenter of the hiv crisis uh, yes. And there is a brilliant book called Genocide by Denial, which talks about at least millions of African uh, nations uh, uh, witnessing just just genocide by denial because we had the drugs, which were uh, researched and taxpayer funded, but then pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies had locked them in patent monopolies, and they were not available uh, for the poorest among us. And uh, the book kind of makes an argument for. Uh, the right uh, to scientific progress, even the poorest amongst us have the right to scientific progress, just the same way as you and I, we never did anything to invent or discover or, you know, Wi-Fi and modems, And but I, I yes. benefit from it, I use it. And uh, this is a, another way where the class class barriers come in the way because uh, we, we try to, you know, use technology only to benefit uh, only to benefit uh, 
I guess uh, shareholder primacy is the term for it, and the social mm-hmm. need and the gr- greater good keeps taking a step back. And what happens cumulatively over decades is we we just create a system that is extortionist. No matter which part of the world you live in, it doesn't work for anybody. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the like I said, the rich are overpaying and the poor are underpaying. And uh, it, it's a uh, it's a uh, if one way to look at it, this book is it's a call to action for. uh this entire system but particularly trips law uh to be entirely uh renegotiated in which global north countries get a say in their uh, in their destinies you mean global south you mean uh, yeah global south nations <laughs> particularly yeah. india because india is a pharmacy of the world but what we yes. are doing is we are the contract manufacturer of the world so we just make the drugs and ship it mm-hmm. to who in geneva which then ships it to african nations or we make it directly for pfizer or johnson and johnson which is the case in the tb drug which i talk about in the book but do you yes. see how easily i'm switching between tb and covid and hiv because this yes. is happening yes. over and over and over again uh, where um, the drugs are made at a fraction of a cost in poorer countries but then uh, once they are ready for market uh, pharmaceutical companies patent them and uh, they are not given to black and brown people and it is medical apartheid uh, in in a, in the 21st century when pandemics are a real threat uh, the 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 fight against medical scientific racism uh, is the civil rights issue of our time Hmm. And it's almost like you know. Um, I mean, the fact that we uh, India is making these medicines, but the Indians are not benefiting from it. You know, Indian exactly. So what's happened? Yeah. Like in in the HIV crisis, I again go into the book about the HIV crisis, where Cipla manufactured uh, antiretrovirals for a dollar a day and shipped it to uh, African nations. uh it was a watershed moment in the uh, fight against hiv indian uh, generic medicines turned the tide of the hiv epidemic but since then what's happened is indian domestic pharmaceutical companies uh, now sign voluntary licenses with big pharmaceutical companies uh, like pfizer johnson and johnson all of these covid uh, manufacturing companies uh, covid uh, i mean all all of the companies that also manufacture covid uh, vaccines and yes. uh, what's what's happened is we in india keep the drugs the richest indians will again get access to uh, drugs that treat drug resistant tuberculosis they will the same way they got access to covid vaccines but the poorest in india are not getting it the same way poorest in every part of the world uh, um, uh, you know the people are not getting these drugs and this is no longer a conversation to be had in a silo where cancer patients are fighting for their drugs and hiv and tb patients are fighting for their drugs all of it goes back to the fountain head which is the trips law and the trips mm. law is a very deeply rooted uh, law that came out it, it's a new way to colonize uh, uh, post colonial nations uh, mm. and uh, because the uh, intellectual property laws were born at a time when the empires which is france britain and spain uh, was scrambling for nations uh, territories in africa and asia and i again go back into the book for all of uh, to to trace back uh, how uh, the first intellectual property laws came into being to govern trade between the empires and the trips law is a 21st century inheritor of the exact same thing uh it once mm-hmm. again kind of loads the dice against the 
in the favor of the empires, but in, in 21st century, the empires are multinational companies. So it's big tech and big pharma and, you know, uh, big philanthropy. And all of this yes. uh, is in the later portions of the book. Let's talk about big philanthropy since you brought it up, you know, and, and you've made it clear that uh, that's, I mean, the, the dark side of it, where everybody, uh, you know, in, in the media is so full of adulation generally, but you've, you know, you've, you've kind of ripped the mask. So talk about that. So, um, you know, uh, WHO at this point, uh, the biggest funder for WHO, especially last year when the Trump administration withdrew from WHO, uh, the largest private funder for it is Gates Foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. Gates, and again, you look at Gates Foundation, it has three board members. So when, when they were still active, it was uh, Bill Gates, his wife and Warren Buffet. And for the mm. longest time, and uh, again, if you look at the board of uh, the Gates Foundation, they have former CEOs of pharmaceutical companies. And there is so yes. much clash of interest. And uh, again, these are technical things that are, I go into the specifics in the book, but yes. the problem with turning to charity uh, to solve uh, the global health problems is like putting a Band-Aid on a malignant ca- tumor. It doesn't yes. solve anything. But uh, mm-hmm. the bigger, uh, the, the what I wanted to focus on is, uh, you know, all of this happens with uh, the, the condescension. Again, this is a very colonial way of, you know, this completely uh, unsettling view the Western nations have of Global South. Nobody yes, yes, the white man's burden. I kept thinking of it when I was reading your, you know, those chapters. Yeah, you know, the neither African nations nor Asian nations are asking for charity. Uh, the clinical trials are done on black and brown bodies. Most of what we know about medicine, we know from experimentation on uh, black slaves, on uh, slaves in India. In, in So uh, to say that India, uh, you know, black and brown people don't contribute anything is a, is a historically wrong argument. But again, the language of how charity is done is that it's, it, it frames solvable problems as overcomable if only uh, black and brown nations uh, listened to the white people and followed their uh, <laughs> directions. And uh, the, the problem is that some of the things are actually not overcomable. Racism is not yes. an overcomable problem. It, it has to, yes. unless you go to the structural root of uh, it, which goes all the way back to WTO, World Trade Organization. And mm. uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, at a societal level, we just need to have a conversation about diseases and ask, why is it that the World Trade Organization has more control over the pandemic right now than the World Health Organization? Uh, it yes. is because we don't think of black and brown lives as precious. Um, yes. And uh, big philanthropy, again, India is the largest laboratory of the Gates Foundation. And the second wave was a classic example of, uh, it was an indictment of all the work Gates Foundation claims to have done in India. Because if you have invested in health system strengthening, again, UP being uh, the particular, uh, you know, the uh, a lot of Gates Foundation's money goes into pilot projects in UP. And uh, why, were, why were bodies floating in the Ganga if, uh, where is the money that uh, Gates Foundation has funneled into all of these places in India if uh, what happened, as much as the second wave is a responsibility of the local governments, 
it is also an indictment of all these big philanthropic companies that come to you know uh, african and asian nations and very condescendingly tell us what to do instead of listening to us and stepping back mm. um, and that's mm. kind of at its core uh, the the conversation i the i hope the book forces not just on uh, not just on western nations but also on indians who kind of have bought into this system we've just bought into this conversation and enabled it mm. 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 yes okay so let's go to this the most drug resistant tb patients 66255 to be precise live in india uh they do they do and again uh, these numbers are uh, wild uh, underestimates um mm-hmm. and uh, we don't know now because of covid and the lockdown a lot of tb patients were locked inside their house and were forced in a situation where they were infect- infecting their loved ones because you know if yes. you're living in dharavi and there is a lockdown and the government system the the government actively turned away patients and did not give them uh, medicines they needed for the period of the lockdown this is not just true for tb it's true for cancer it's true for all sorts of you know, you know a lot of people died i lost friends who had the uh, who needed the dialysis um mm. i lost friends who had hemophilia so it's not just true for tb but in tb's case what that uh, being locked inside a circle forced is that tb spread and because the notification just spiraled down and we are now looking at uh, the next year is going to be the when the data comes again india uh, indian government and who are in a very bitter Uh, and open uh, uh, disagreement over the covid mortality data and i'm sure that's true for tb yes. as well but what's happened now is that uh, we have a uh, uh, more drug resistant tb and more drug sensitive tb than we know uh, and uh, this concept in uh, the global health parlance is called the missing the problem of the missing millions because millions of tb patients are missing and uh, that kind of is also uh, why this book is called phantom plague because uh, we are just invi- invisibilizing a problem because uh, it's just too unpleasant and we don't know how to uh, address it but uh, at this point it, you know india in particular is at a point where we either have to endure it or address it and to address it we just have to face some very unpleasant facts Mm-hmm. which uh, we are not really doing at this point hmm but why do you think uh, you know indian government's steadfast steadfast denial of the scale of the problem because if we are denying it there's no way we can ever deal with it i mean indian government's denial of problems is not limited to tuberculosis we are there's seeing uh, we are seeing yeah. that with tb as well and you know with tb in particular what happens is it's a very stigmatizing disease is the exact yes. same way for what would mean for india to accept that uh, after covid there has been a massive spike in leprosy cases what does it mm. make india look like um, you know not as a thriving uh, economic destination but as a place where there is a lot of tb and there is a lot of leprosy and all of this is a very bad it, it's just bad optics Uh, yes and uh, it's true for covid as well now it's true for malnutrition yesterday i was seeing a news uh, report from chatisgarh about uh, children starving and dying 
and uh, uh, again uh, the steadfast denial seems uh, to be a through line across policies not just mm-hmm. in health but multiple wherever there is bad news uh, uh, we kind of are at a point where we blame the messenger in many cases shoot the messenger or jail the messenger yes. instead of yes. looking at the message mm-hmm. and uh, that you know it's a status quo that is just untenable at this point Hmm. Hmm. I mean, you know, at the end of your book, I I'm I'm left with feeling no hope about it actually. So, you know, so I'm wondering how you dealt with that when you're writing it. You know, frankly, I actually uh, uh I'm so first of all, I'm sorry that uh, the book leaves you hopeless. Uh, no, but... no, no. <laughs> no, it's just truthful. I mean, I tend, you know, like tend to uh, pick the you know I, uh, a lot of people have come to me about you know uh, your book is incandescent with rage and you're railing against the system and you're too angry and the truth is uh, i process information by writing so i'm actually not a very angry person because i'm writing it uh, what the reader feels is anger and i actually personally am very hopeful and optimistic uh because for the first time in 20 years i'm seeing such a focused conversation of uh, infectious diseases uh, at a global level uh, about scientific mm. racism about caste and class in india and uh, the thing is uh, you know you you have to be optimistic to get out of bed every day and that's particularly why i wrote about uh, nandita if you look at the book there are uh, throughout the book there are these young protagonists who are tb survivors turned activists and they yes. are uh, dismantling the system these are kids who got tb then recovered then went and got a degree in public policy and now work. i mean it's badass and mm. uh, it's uh, easy i think it's a very easy option to feel hopeless and feel like there is nothing to do uh, the 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 more the more instructive and uh, useful exercise at least for me is to uh, talk about solutions uh, look mm-hmm. at the facts that we have now because there are solutions that's that's actually the book kind of talks at length about the solutions that uh, you know with trips in particular uh with yes. the, with the indian government as well about having a taxpayer funded uh policy for tb much the same way as we had for hiv but without these hurdles of having to prove uh, your uh, nationality or asking for this card or that app uh, yes. you know uh and so there are a lot of solutions and i really hope uh, uh, the reader kind of walks away from this book looking uh looking at uh, because of, this is not the first time the world has witnessed a pandemic we have uh, historically always been capable of addressing the uh, shortages in our system and we have done it uh, in the mm-hmm. 90s hiv looked just as scary if not more and india did marvelously well we had a very humane policy which was kind to hiv patients and we are very capable of doing that india has the best doctors in the world we just kind of need to listen to science we just need to believe uh, uh, you know in evidence based policy it's uh, i remain optimistic but i can <laughs> see why, i can see uh, i i take that as uh, feedback that is valid Hmm. Hmm. No, I'm not. It's not a criticism. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, 
so but, but when you were writing it you know and you got and what i found good about this book really is that you've like woven in stories from right across i mean you there's like a lot of fact and reportage and everything but there are also these um, these people historical ca- characters you know uh, yeah. uh, like what's his name somalwise i think yeah samalwise so, yeah. Yeah, him and you know, then uh, and the man who dug out his daughter's right at the beginning, daughter's body mm-hmm. from the grave, you know, the start of the vampire uh, idea, and and then later on, you know, the uh, the, the girl who died of uh, died of TB, and I mean, so you've got all these people as well, you know, who are like characters you remember, and you've backed it up with this. So it seems. I uh, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you but you know this that that was uh, uh, while it looks like it's a very angry book and I was like very pissed while writing it I no, actually you had the you sound very methodical thank you uh, you know it was a super fun uh, exercise for me um, like I said I've been reporting on the TV case uh, since uh, Shreya's parents uh, went to Delhi High Court which was 2016. and i started uh, covering it for uh, for the hindu but then i was uh, you know uh, i as an instinct i just love history i'm a history nerd and i look at medical history uh, to make context uh, to make sense of what's happening to us and it's filled with you know the weird and the obscure and just plain bizarre and uh, yes. i remember while i was just randomly reading there was a, comp- a two or three year period when i was just reading about all sorts of uh, weird uh, things that happened in medical history and at some point i came upon uh, uh, a paper a, on uh, in the new england journal of medicine about vampire panics and mm. it was the kind of uh, that paper was like the open sesame that gave me the book uh, nice. because uh, I I love uh, pop culture and what you see in the book is exactly how I could explain the story to myself and it kind mm. of set the tone to weave in the fabulous with the mundane with the heartbreaking with the angry and uh, then I found Sherlock Holmes and that was just jackpot yes. and yes. you know the tuberculosis uh, is also you know, because it's such a a long lasting plague it gave me a, a huge um, a huge canvas uh, to go in whichever direction uh, which was very unlike my news reporting so i had a, a blast just writing the book at that point you see a lot of pop culture in the book because uh, one of my favorite things is to kind of somehow try to explain difficult to explain things and uh, i i kind of do believe uh, i remember having this conversation constantly with my editor that you know science is the broccoli that i want to slip into the story it's just tangential to what's happening so i was reading a lot about uh, all sorts of bizarre stories from medical history and when i found this paper uh, in the new england journal of medicine about vampire panics that kind of was my open sesame for the book and um, it's uh, uh, it's this uh, i did not want because tv is such a difficult uh, subject to get people interested in and i was very conscious that i did not want to underpower the story with facts you know the the as a journalist i use facts as a clutch to move the story forward and the book kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of juggle multiple 
narratives uh, in the air and the, i guess the trick is to keep all the balls uh, up in the air long enough to get the reader hooked um i hope uh, i hope i've done that because that's why you find all of these you know uh, larger than life characters like Sherlock Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle and Samuel Wise uh, uh vampire dracula all of these uh, things uh, come in and go out of the book uh, to kind of <laughs> uh suck the reader in enough uh to then mm. they can you know uh, because uh, it's a book written for a global audience so the the portion that's set in india uh, also needed a, a reader that's kind of coming to it with a open mind and then yes. the final portion also kind of needed someone who's coming to it with uh you know not wanting to not you know what not immediately shutting down at the idea of legal jargon yes so that's kind of what i was attempting to do you should uh, you are the one to tell me whether i did it or not no yes yes you know i found it interesting how you've uh, you very effectively brought out the parallel of colonialism and the you know the current medical apartheid sort of you know you brought you brought in churchill and then later on you get into this you know all, into trip and gat and all the, the the all that came out of that you know all that so that that was very and i would think that a global audience would find that because especially somebody in uk like i when i was reading satnam sangera's book you know empireland it was i was shocked that they weren't even taught about the crap that you know their ancestors did in these parts of the world you know so a book like this would sort of put that front and center and also what is happening currently when it comes to these uh, patents and you know all that yeah yeah i mean uh, it was uh, it was, i kind of did not set out wanting to dry i before i ha- i had the entire book written before I, i had an agent or a publisher so i kind of just just wanted to write the story that i wanted to write Mm. and uh, it at that point i was not thinking about the audience or the reader as much i mostly wrote it for for me because uh, it was also uh, a time where uh, the, you know the uh, the book is a collection of stories that i actually could not write in the indian newsrooms so i was just trying to get it out of my system i'm glad it kind of came out in a way that it resonates with uh, patients differently and lawyers differently and depending on which part of the world you are in um i'm i'm glad everyone finds just enough to kind of uh, have what has been the initial reaction in in the us and uk to the book um i uh, i have been in india while the book has been released there but uh, from the reviews i'm glad that uh, i am i'm glad i don't have a bad review as yet but uh, let's not jinx that <laughs> <laughs> okay Okay, yeah. and you know one of the frightening things, and I marked it when I was reading it, is that the WHO's estimates that one fourth of the world's population has latent TB. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, it's again one of those things people get petrified when they hear it, which is also what makes this book uh, particularly relevant for global health. Um, mm-hmm. because the bacteria can lie dormant uh, for decades but this yeah, is true for what years like 40 years you could have tb in you and then when you're like decrepit and old it hits you 
it can happen it can also happen in months it can happen in weeks the thing is uh, the, the the bacteria is um, it's a master mutator and it kind of uh, waits in your body for the immune system to go weak which is why hiv saw such a spike in tb cases because hiv uh, his signature move of hiv the virus is immunocompression Um, yes. and it kind of opens you up to other infections and tb is the leading killer of uh, hiv patients so mm. uh, that's both between uh, between tb between the virus and the bacteria which is hiv and tb uh, there was uh, in the 90s saw a huge spike in uh, tb cases when the world realized this is a massive problem and now with covid uh, that's only um, uh double the the urgency of it i cannot uh, ins- like i don't know how to emphasize the urgency of this in a world that is just so interconnected with flights um mm. uh that it is extremely important that we uh, make new new uh, generation of uh, tb treatments available to the poorest uh, and we make them available at affordable costs by not not enforcing patent monopolies and uh, i i hope uh, i hope that's the message uh, that a reader takes away from the story hmm. and right towards the end of the book i mean i don't know after i think it's in the same chapter where the scary bit about latent tb is also this equally scary thing speaking to me on the on the condition of anonymity a senior bureaucrat in the health ministry was clear about the prospects of meeting modi's ambitious 2025 target to eliminate tb we did not give this target this was set by non technical people if you are asking me whether we will end tb by 2025 the answer is a simple we will not yeah we will be done by 2040 if all hands hands were on deck and the policy had no budget constraints and things have since just gotten more complicated because of uh, covid-19 because the entire system of uh, tb response was pushed into action to respond to uh, covid so uh, you know all the all the diagnostic tools and all the uh, respiratory health experts so human resources but also drugs and diagnostics and everything was pushed on a quote unquote mission mode what we call in 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 india to uh, address covid but what that has then done is uh, made tb a big problem and which is why you know this is what uh, was our learning from polio because we again went into this quote unquote mission mode and chased after polio at railway stations and at doorsteps and what you do when you go chasing after disease after disease instead of like strengthening your hospital where everyone can come and at one you know at one window or at one door you can get uh screened for or two or three infectious diseases so someone who has uh covid can be screened it's the same it's the same te- uh, molecular uh, testing and uh, there are, again uh, there is a, a reason for optimism because uh, these things can now be pressed into first for tb uh, there is more money for these diagnostics uh, because of covid 19 and there is more awareness and uh, what we don't have is a willingness and that uh thankfully something that can change hmm and and on that optimistic note um we should end 
and for for the readers go out and get phantom plague it'll it's it's an excellent book it tells you a lot and uh, vidya has um, you know vidya has woven in hard facts and numbers and statistics with um, with explanations and very interesting um, examples as well from history and contemporary uh, you know the contemporary times so uh it's a it's a very good and an instructive read so go out and get phantom plague how tuberculosis sh- shaped history by vidya krishnan thank you so much vidya for talking to me thank you for having me bye this was a hindustan times production brought to you by hd smartcast hd smartcast